all make um, countless decisions every day, decisions that are big and small, and all those choices lead us um, toward who we are becoming. We're all becoming the people that we will be forever. And what I mean by that is that we can choose um, things that help us to become more like Jesus. We can choose things that grow the fruit of the Spirit in us. And we can choose things that don't. And choosing well is part of living life well. Just join me as we pray. Lord God, we um, ask that you would help us to be people who live life well. Lord, I ask this morning that as we um, hear from your word, you would help us to um, hear your voice in the midst of my voice. And God, we, um, we thank you for the technology that enables us to connect um, with people who aren't in this room. And Lord, we pray that um, you would have your hand across that this morning and we, um, we just ask that you would um, challenge us and change us and draw us close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been in a series here at Northern um, looking at the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is about um, helping us to become people who choose well, people who are wise. And this morning we're going to think about some of the factors that help us choose well concerning our money and our work. So, you know, just little small things that we deal with in our life. Um, So the, the book of Proverbs has advice around wealth and work kind of woven through it. And we could be here for hours Um, But we're going to focus this morning on three of the things that we find in chapters 11 and 12 of Proverbs. So if you've been reading through it, as David suggested that we do last week, looking at um, 11 and 12 today. We're going to think about how those things are worked out by reflecting on that story of Zacchaeus that was read to us so beautifully um, by Leah. Thank you, Leah. (coughs) So what do we find in Proverbs 11 and 12 as good advice about wealth and work? As a starting point, I think it's important for us to know the perspective of the writer of Proverbs. Now, this metaphor might be a bit of a stretch, um, but let's see how it goes. If we think of wisdom as a kind of cloak that we put on, and the book of Proverbs as kind of weaving together a piece of fabric for that cloak, then there needs to be a loom, there needs to be a framework for those threads to be strung on as it's created. And Aletheia and David have spoken about this loom, if you like, over the last couple of weeks. The perspective that sits behind the words of Proverbs is that there is a God. It is not you. It is not me. And living life well means that we live in relationship with God. This is wise. So the goal of Proverbs wisdom is to help you be in right relationship with God. This is the wisest thing you can do. The reason that it's important to start there is that when we come to think about wisdom concerning money and work, Proverbs and the Bible more generally is not interested primarily in helping you grow your wealth or in your career success. That's not this book. So that framework is highlighted again concerning wealth in chapter 11. So the first thing that we find this morning is that our security is found in our righteousness, in our relationship with God, not in our wealth. So Proverbs 11 and 3 to 8 tells us this. Honesty guides good people. Dishonesty destroys treacherous people. Riches won't help on the day of judgment, but right living can save you from death. The godly are directed by honesty. The wicked fall beneath their load of sin. 
The godliness of good people rescues them. The ambition of treacherous people traps them. When the wicked die, their hopes die with them, for they rely on their own feeble strength. The godly are rescued from trouble, and it falls on the wicked instead. This is quite radical thinking at the time it was written, and even by the time that Jesus was walking the earth, he still regularly had conversations with people about wealth not being an indicator of righteousness, and about poverty and sickness not being an indicator of lack of faith. Wealth is a blessing, and it's easy to see how people, ourselves included, can think that God blesses a family or a community with wealth or good things because of their righteousness, because of their godliness. But blessings from God say more about who God is than who we are. God blesses and gives abundantly because of who he is. And he calls us to be like him, people who give and bless abundantly. And our righteousness, our right relationship with God, is where our trust needs to be. And out of this relationship, we can see God at work through all kinds of circumstances. Jesus famously says that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not because Jesus didn't like rich people, but because rich people trust their wealth and they find it difficult to trust God. Which is part of what makes this story of Zacchaeus so remarkable. He's a wealthy guy, a very wealthy guy. He's got everything that he could want materially. But he comes to realise that there's something that money can't purchase. He needs grace and he wants to trust God and he no longer trusts his wealth for his well-being. And he's willing to sacrifice his wealth for restored relationships. That's what is happening in that passage in um, Luke 19. So the second thing that we find this morning is that um, generosity reaps reward and greed and selfishness are harmful. So on the surface, this might seem like something we know intuitively or that we've been taught from a young age, (coughs) that the good and right thing is to be generous and that greed doesn't work out in the end. Um, Proverbs 11, 24 and 28 to 28 goes like this. (coughs) Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. People curse those who hoard their grain, but they bless the one who sells in a time of need. If you search for good, you will find favour, but if you search for evil, it will find you. Trust in your money and down you go, but the godly flourish like leaves in the spring. I'm going to just hold that thought for a moment. I'll leave those words on the screen for a second. I think it's important for us just to spend a moment reminding ourselves about how we read Proverbs. The idea of a proverb is that it expresses a commonly accepted truth. There's no evidence provided for any of these statements. They aren't nuanced. There's no exceptions made. There's no arguments entered into. Proverbs kind of take the form of these um, a lot of the book of Proverbs, these little couplets of um, statements. And they take the form of an insight or an observation um, or advice. There's a warning or a prohibition, something you shouldn't do or definitely don't do. And they can sound like they proclaim universal truth. For example, Proverbs 11.24 says, Give freely and become more wealthy. 
So this sounds conclusive and it sounds transactional, but this isn't a universal statement. And it's not a kind of formula for gaining wealth because we know that isn't the intention of the loom that sits behind Proverbs. And we also know that sometimes in our experience of life, people who give don't become more wealthy. Those who are stingy don't appear to lose everything. How do we read and understand a proverb like this? When we come to Proverbs or any wisdom literature that we encounter in the Bible, we need to recognise that like poetry, it's compressed language and it's intended to be read reflectively and not quickly. And it's a funny thing, as we reflect on it, on these little statements, we start to think about the nuances, the cases when it, it might not quite be true. The arguments for and against those statements, the evidence that we have from our own experiences, And as we weigh these things, God grows wisdom in us. I would suggest to you that this is how Proverbs work best. So what can we unpack from this particular proverb? I think the writer is aiming to encourage generosity and discourage stinginess in terms um, that the reader would have understood as resonating with the good life. Generosity is the pathway to the good life. Stinginess will not get you there. But the writer isn't saying that if you want to increase your wealth, you give it away. And how do I know that? Because elsewhere in Proverbs, we find things about wealth being the result of hard work, saving and forward planning. So in Proverbs 6, 6 to 8, the writer says, Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise, though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work. They labour hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. So what we can see is that wealth is not a bad thing in and of itself. It's a blessing from God, but it's not reflective of our righteousness. There's not a formula where you can kind of, um, or if you give more, God will bless you more. God is God and you are not. We are not. So we can't manipulate God into giving us what we want. But what we do learn here is that if you have wealth, God cares about what you do with it. Wealth is a blessing for the community and not just for us. So if we have a look at verse 25, we go back to that um, section we were looking at. Look at verse 25. Those who refresh others, those, um, in verse 26, those who sell in a time of need. These things are counterintuitive if we sit with it and reflect on it. We'd naturally have a tendency to look after ourselves first and then give. And these verses turn that around. You refresh others first and while there's a famine or there's need of grain in the community instead of keeping that for yourself and storing it up you make it available to people and they will bless you so that's the generosity part there's something to the other side of these verses in chapter 11 that's about greed those who are stingy those who hoard and greed is a tricky thing Because it doesn't always just look like not wanting to pay for something or storing up wealth and possessions. Jesus spoke about greed in Luke 12. It goes like this. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, 
Who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns. Then I'll have room enough for all to store all my wheat and other goods. And then I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. And then who will get all that you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So Jesus had been teaching and he was asked a question. He was asked to use his wisdom to discern and make a judgment in a situation. And Jesus says, the, the bold there is mine, it's not um, like that in the Bible. Um, Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. All kinds of greed. Be on your guard? I think what Jesus is getting at is that greed can sometimes not seem like greed at the beginning. We can find ourselves suddenly entangled. Greed can be a little bit niggly. It's a technical word there, niggly. Jesus tells this story about a rich man, a rich man who worried about the future, who worried about losing the wealth that he'd accumulated. So greed can actually look like worry. Have you ever thought about that? Think about our friend Zacchaeus again for a moment. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. In the process of becoming the chief tax collector, and you know, if we were to unpack that passage a bit more, which we won't do this morning, he, he's kind of had to sacrifice his connection to his friends and his community. Because in the process of becoming the chief tax collector, he's cheated people. He was deceitful in his pursuit of wealth. Do you think he planned or intended to cheat people when he started out? Do you think he wanted to be ostracised by his community? The Bible doesn't talk to us about that, but I don't think so. I think Zacchaeus thought wealth would get him the good life. I think he was after living life well. That was his picture. He took a job and then it started small. He just added a little bit extra tax on the side and took some for himself and he could live a little bit better. And he enjoyed that. So then he took a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And little by little, in lots of little small decisions, he chose to be someone who valued wealth over relationship. A person who was stingy and hoarded his treasure instead of sharing it. Jesus says, be on your guard. We have to watch the little choices that we make. We have to think about what's driving our deep worry, the worry that keeps you up at night. Last thing we'll look at this morning, <coughs> hard work and diligence lead to the good life. So Proverbs 12, 9 to 12 goes like this. Better to be an ordinary person with a servant than to be a self-important person but have no food. The godly care for their animals, but the wicked are always cruel. A hard worker has plenty of food, 
but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. Thieves are jealous of each other's loot, but the godly are well-rooted and bear their own fruit. And then um, if you skip down to verses 24 to 28 of that chapter, um, kind of continue in this, this same theme. Work hard and become a leader. Be lazy and become a slave. Worry weighs a person down. An encouraging word cheers a person up. The godly give good advice to their friends. The wicked lead them astray. Lazy people don't even cook the game they catch, but the diligent make a use for everything they find. The way of the godly leads to life. That path does not lead to death. So these verses kind of illustrate what hard work and diligence look like. So um, care of the animals and in context, animals often helped with or were part of your work. So um, perhaps we could extend this to care of tools of the trade. Are you a care, do you care about the, the parts of your work? Hard work also looks like bearing your own fruit, becoming a leader, encouraging others, giving sound advice to our friends and making use of everything we have access to, being resourceful. It's important for us to recognise that living life well involves working hard. The good life, as God sees it, isn't about sitting back in a lounge chair. Living life well involves work. That may be um, paid work or unpaid work. It may be in the home or at a job site. What is your work right now? Maybe you have lots of different work. Maybe you're a husband and a dad and a labourer and a son and a brother. And as you work in all the varied parts of your life, be ethical and diligent. Live your life with care. Encourage people. Offer sound advice. Be resourceful. This is what it looks like to live life well. To be wise. These verses compare the good life of a hard worker with the choices of the unwise. It's never, never a list you want to be on, is it? The choices of the unwise. Being self-important is unwise. Being wicked and cruel is unwise. Chasing fantasies is unwise. Stealing and jealousy is unwise. Laziness is unwise. Worry is unwise. None of these things lead to life. Now, there's a lot there. And I want to just spend a moment reflecting on what all these unwise choices have in common. All of them place the love of wealth and the love of self over the love of God. That's where we started this morning and that's where we're going to finish. The best piece of wisdom concerning your wealth and your work is to start with God. God comes first. Then when we have God at the centre, we aren't self-important. We don't need others to see us as successful or wealthy. When we have God at the centre, we choose to treat others with respect because they're created in the image of God and we're called to care for them and love them. When we have God at the centre, we can be at peace in our current circumstances and not need to chase after the fantasy of more or choose to improve our financial well-being through stealing. When we have God at the centre, we know that God intended for us to do good work and we aren't looking for ways to cut corners. 
When we have God at the center, we know that despite our circumstances, God is God and we are not. So we don't need to worry. As Zacchaeus chooses to follow Jesus, he makes some radical statements. He's going to return what he's cheated anyone. He'll give back four times as much. He's going to give half of his wealth away to those in need. And not because anyone asked him to. Not because Jesus commanded him to. But because as he puts God first and as he receives grace, he doesn't need to hold so tightly to his wealth. He puts Jesus first and he chooses to make amends for the ways that he stole and cheated people to line his own pockets. Last thing before we finish. I just need to say, I was praying about this this week, that sometimes when we pull proverbs out about hard work, it can seem like there's a formula. We spoke about the not formula process of proverbs earlier. But if you work hard and you do all the right things, you'll be well off. That's what it makes it sound like. That wealth comes to those who work hard. That people without wealth are lazy. And this is not true. We know this empirically. The greatest givers in the world are some of the poorest people in the world. That sometimes people work hard their whole lives and they don't have lots of money. We work hard. We rest well. We didn't go there today, but there's some proverbs in there about wise people also resting from their work. And we work with diligence and care. And why do we do that? Not to amass wealth or to be successful. We do it because it's part of what it looks like to be in right relationship with God. We do it because as we choose the things, we become people who are God, choose those things, we become people who are godly and caring and diligent in all that we do. And this is what living life well looks like. So um, just a few things for us to reflect on today then. And I realised, Stephen, that I didn't put a note on the slide, but you are amazing and had clicked the slide through for me. Thank you. So where do you find your security? That's a big question. (laughs) Where do you find your security? But if you're honest, what is the greatest rival for God in your life? Do you find security in your family, in your friends, in relationships? In money, in having a house or having shares or having making sure that you have the right amount? Maybe as long as you've got three figures in your bank account, you're okay. Maybe two figures. <laughs> Does that make you feel safe? Or is it status? Is it, do you feel secure if people see you or treat you a certain way? Second thing to think about today, how could you grow in generosity? God cares about what we do with our wealth. So how could, how could we as a church grow in our generosity? And how could we individually grow in our generosity? Spend some time this morning and ask God to point out to you the places in your life where you need to be, be on your guard against greed. Be on your guard against that desire for more. What does that look like for you? And then have a think this morning about what your current work is. And how can you grow in your care and your diligence in that work? I'm going to take some time um, 
just to, to reflect on that and have some music play and then I'll come back and we'll close in prayer. Thanks so much. <laughs>